Welcome to People Helping People, the podcast to inspire greater social change in the business world and give common and uncommon ideas on how to take action and move towards that social change. I am so excited to be here with Taylor Hunt, the founder of Ashtanga Yoga Columbus. In his book, Away from Darkness, he details his own vivid path from alcohol and drug addiction back to health. Now, he has launched the Trini Foundation to help bring the life-changing practice of Ashtanga Yoga to others struggling with addiction. So today, we're going to dive deep into the Trini Foundation and how yoga can be a powerful transformation with a commitment to the practice. So, Taylor, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Welcome to the People Helping People podcast. I'm very excited to be here with Taylor Hunt today, who's an authorized Ashtanga Yoga teacher here in Columbus, Ohio. He runs the Ashtanga Yoga Columbus Studio. Very excited to have you on the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. How would you introduce yourself? Oh, man, that's a hard one. Uh, I guess how I would introduce myself is that, uh, you know, like currently I've spent the last 10 years of my life like dedicating it to like transforming myself and like trying to help other people. And so whether it's with the yoga studio or with uh, the Trini Foundation, or which we'll talk about and and so, yeah, I, I think I would introduce myself like that. You know? <laughs> like, I think that's the, the those have been my main focus. I've been giving a lot um, to people that are struggling, mm. whether it's people in the yoga room or people um, who are, you know, affected by the disease of alcoholism and drug addiction. And can you tell me a little bit about uh, what the Trinity Foundation is about? Yeah. So the Trinity Foundation, we are a 501c3. And what we do is we teach yoga to people who are struggling with addiction. We teach them in halfway houses, prisons, and sober living, treatment centers, detox centers. Um, and so we have a bunch of teachers that basically work for us around the, around the country. And our main hub is obviously Columbus. And we go into these places and we teach them yoga. And we teach them Ashtanga yoga, like a specific style. And what we try and do is give them something that they can take with them. And the Ashtanga method is perfect for like giving that to, you know, like because it's a set sequence of poses and many other reasons. But um, we try and give that to them. And then we want to make sure that they have the resource, resources they need in order to achieve sobriety when they leave their detox center or prison or wherever they're at. And so we offer scholarships to them. So, I mean, they could be in California, whether it's Napa, California or Southern California, and say, like, you know, apply for our scholarship program through a teacher that we were connected with. And then we basically take their application and we send it to a local studio who we've, we've arranged classes with, and we send them to those classes free of charge. And part of the reason why we do that is because most of the time that people in addiction don't have money to spend the 100 or $200 to, to go to yoga mm a yoga place. And so we, we send them there free of charge. They just have to make a commitment, um, sort of like their sobriety. They have to make a commitment to being like, uh, I'll show up there four days a week. I'll show up there five days a week. And uh, then we check on them. And, you know, the tool of yoga is so transformational that once they start like seeing the results of like what, how they're sorting things through or perspective change or any of this stuff, I mean, they're empowered. And that's what happened in my story. That's what's happened in countless other stories. So, and that's what we're trying to give. And then the whole other side of like the training foundation is really that we're trying to take something that has a huge stigma, you know, addiction, mm. the pink elephant in the room, really, um, and, and take them and, 
use these people to uh, help affect the change, like how everyone views it. And that's like getting people to open up about it and like be, share open and honestly and share their successes and their failures because it is a disease. And a lot mm-hmm. of times we view it as a moral thing. And so we have all of those programs that I just mentioned. But the other side of it is like we're really trying to affect the way people view addiction. Now, is that just with the individuals you're serving yourself or is that population in, in a whole? I mean, it's a whole. It's a whole. Okay. I mean, we're, we're actually looking for more social change. Than okay. anything else, I mean, um, with that particular, I mean, we really have two different things. We have like this microcosm, like yeah. we're working with like the individual for that transformation, and then the broader view or the macro view is like we're we're really looking for, you know, everyone to view it differently, mm. you know, because it's been criminalized, and and not that I want to get into political debate, but I mean, a lot of times these people need psychological and emotional support instead of it being like you're going to have to go to jail for using drugs or that kind of stuff. Yeah, and so. it's, from my understanding, it's not just the, the drugs that are the issue, but there's usually something else going on in somebody's life that has, has led them down that path. Yeah, I mean, you could say that the drinking and using of drugs and alcohol is actually just a symptom of the disease, not mm. the actual disease itself. Um, the, the, the real disease lies in the mind, and it's really an allergy of the body and obsession, obsession of the mind. And so, like, once an addict puts something into their system, like a drug, they have to do it again. And part of because there's an allergic reaction to it. They crave it after once one beer or one shoot up or whatever, one mm. line or whatever you want to call it. They crave it again and they crave it again and they crave it again and crave it again. And, like, I mean, they do it. Um, in spite of themselves. So, I mean, they're basically trying to kill themselves. But they don't think that they're trying to kill themselves. They're just chasing the high. Uh-huh. So the, the drugs and stuff is just a, uh, a symptom of it, where that's not the real problem. The real problem is really resides in our, our mind and how we feel about ourselves and what we believe about ourselves and, and that compulsion, you know, of uh, something's not okay with me, so I need to seek something outside of it. Got it. Yeah. So what needs to change in, like, the, the way people talk about drugs and addiction? Like, what would be a better, better story? Well, I mean, I think the biggest thing is that really what we need is hope and a strategy. Mm. Hope that uh, people are um, able to share their victories and openly and honestly. And without getting into too much of a debate, like, you know, for the longest time, uh, 12-step programs, which I am a part of, and I'm, I'm not really giving them a hard time, but this will sound a little pointed, is that um, anonymity was the spiritual foundation Mm. of 12 steps. And I think that we've outgrown it. And Mm. I I think that we have to reach a spot, especially with the opioid crisis that we're facing in Columbus and all over the United States, that people cannot be afraid to share their stories. Like, yeah, they shouldn't be um, mouthpieces for 12 steps or any of that stuff, but they should be... um, they should be like the victors of like, hey, you know what? I made it to the other side of this. You can too. Mm. Because the statistic is really, um, I mean, it's dark. I mean, if you put a needle in your arm, Adam, I mean, there's only a 3% chance that you're going to make it out and get sober. Really? It's 3%. 3%. Now, that's just needles. Like, because the needle thing is like, you know, if you're shooting heroin into your veins, it's 3%. I mean, that's why governments don't want to spend money on it. That's why pharmaceutical companies don't want to spend money on it because it's a dot. Like... It's a dying issue, which is terrible. 
I mean, it, it's, yeah. It, yeah, it's terrible. I mean, that's a terrible stati- statistic. <laughs> it blows people away. You say that. I mean, but you could Google it. You could look at it. I mean, if they put a needle on their arm, that's why no one wants to spend any any money on it. And so um, hope and strategy, you know, so strategy on like how to really help someone recover. And there's many different ways to do it, but it needs to be fully supported. And, and there needs to be like clear strategies that people can or avenues that they can take in order to, to get sober. And that starts, I think with government and foundations like my, like what I have or charities like what I have and, and yoga and holistic approach. And, you know, it, it needs to be talked about Mm. and it needs to be like, here's the way to do it. You know, because when I first went to my uh, treatment center for myself, I didn't know that there was all of these modalities. Like I only thought there was one way. And there's not only just one way, there's many ways, but like, we don't know any of the ways. Like in our society, like if I asked you, what are the ways to get sober? You'd be like, uh, AA, AA, (laughs) the one thing that comes to my mind, only thing that comes to mind. And that's a huge one. I mean, it's gigantic. Um, AA has like really the most success. There's a lot of success stories, but you don't hear about them. But then there's a lot of, you said there's a, there's other other ways. ways. Yeah. I mean, that's like maybe the traditional view of, yeah. of how to get sober. Um, but it's not the only way. Okay. Um, I know that the program of 12 Steps basically like sets a nice framework or beautiful framework for someone to live by. And as addicts, like we need that. Um, we need yoga. We need therapy. We need, you know, to deal with the trauma of the things that have happened. Now, in your book, Away from Darkness, you describe very vividly what this experience was like for you. You know, you had hit rock bottom through your own alcohol and drug use. Yeah. What was the point at which things changed? I mean, it's a really difficult question to answer because um, I don't think that I was the one that made the really, that decision. Okay. Um, I wasn't in a place where I was able to make that decision. I was driven to Talbot Hall, um, OSU Medical Center, and I was pushed out the door of my ex, now ex-wife's car, and two men like basically drug me to the elevator to take me up. And at that point, I didn't want to be there um, because I also felt like I was in a place where uh, I was beyond being saved. I thought I was just preparing to die, to be honest with you. But I started, I got in there um, into the treatment center and I started eating and I started going to little therapy groups. I started going to AA meetings while I was in there. I started sleeping and those kind of things led to, like, one night, um, I was detoxing from, from all of the, you know, heroin that I was doing. And I was, I was really having, like, flu-like symptoms, and I thought I was going to, like, literally die, um, or at least it felt like I was going to die. And I remember that um, that night I, I finally got some sleep. I woke up, like, middle of the night, and I remember, like, just kind of staring at the wall and this thought coming to me that, like, I want to live again. And I don't know why it came to me. I don't know why. I mean, I, I really have no idea. It could have been a result of really doing all those things for a couple of days or whatever and, and really going to the meetings, connecting with people, talking about my problem, feeling the community of the treatment center or whatever to make me feel supported. But for some reason, when I woke up that next day, um, a decision was, was made where I was like, I'm willing to do whatever it takes in order to get so, uh, sober. And it felt like a kind of a, my soul was sort of like a flicker of the, of a flame. And, you know, I, I barely had any sobriety, but I had this like 
almost willpower or you could say almost compulsion to do the right thing for the first time in my life. Yeah. And it was just like one day after, you know, detoxing from drugs is very painful. I mean, it, it was, it was so painful. And then getting to the other side of it, uh, maybe having that much pain and coming to where I I was like, I don't want to live like this anymore. Mm -hmm. And then after that, um, then I made a decision. I was like, I'm willing to do whatever it takes in order to get so- sober. And yeah. I did. That's what I've been doing for the last <laughs> 11 years. So and then, so after that, you, you left the program and you discovered yoga afterwards? Well, I discovered yoga maybe like five to six months after I left the uh, treatment center. Okay. Yeah. I'm amused by your story because it sounds like when you first went in, you know, you had a lot of hesitations about what yoga was about. Yeah. I mean... The only context that I had for yoga was that when I was younger, my mom used to leave my house and she would be in like a leotard and she'd have sweatbands on and she'd have ankle weights (laughs) and like a stepping, like a little step. And uh, like I kind of thought it was jazzercise and aerobics. That's kind of what I thought of. You know, I thought it was kind of like the new thing. And I thought really it was for women. I, I mean, I was just like, you know, that's just you know, some things gear themselves towards women. And at that time, there was a lot of women in yoga. And yeah. so when I went to my first class, there was a total amount of hesitation because, you know, I, I basically was at an AA meeting and this lady came up to me over and over and over again was like, hey, you want to do my yoga class? And my response was like, no, I'm not going to do your <laughs> yoga class. Like, I, you know, I couldn't even fit my ego into a yoga class. But, you know, I'm also like kind of fresh off the streets, if you know what I mean. Yeah. And so she asked me six times. In two days, I saw her like six times. I saw her at the gas station. I saw her at walking a dog. I saw her at another meeting. I saw her at Giant Eagle, the grocery store. I, I like all of these different places. And she asked me, I was like, are you considering this? Are you going to do my yoga class? And I was like, no. And, and so then I asked my sponsor, I was like, why is this lady bothering me? She's like, wanting me to do this yoga. And it's like kind of messing with my head. I keep seeing her and all this stuff. And he's like, well, what step are you on? And I was like, well, I'm on the 11th step. And, he, and I was like, you know that. Like, we've been doing these things together. And he's like, well, read it to me. And I said, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God. It's the le- that's the 11th step. So after he said that, I remember thinking in my head, I was just like, oh, he's got me. <laughs> like, he's got me. And because I did know enough about yoga um, now after she was kind of bothering me about it, that it was meditation and mm-hmm. sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God. That, that, and so I was able to pray and all this stuff, but I didn't have a means to do the meditation aspect of it. And that was being brought to me. It was brought to me six times before I said yes. But what I thought about it was really true. I walked in. There was only girl or only women in the in the class. And I didn't know what I was doing. Like I said, fresh off the streets. And I didn't have the equipment, the right mat. And, you know, I put so many needles in my arms. Like I couldn't do the push-up position. We call it chaturanga. And, you know, I struggled. I hadn't worked out for 10 years mm. or eight years or something like that. And. And just the damage from the needles in my arms, like I couldn't do a push-up. I was like basically emaciated. Like, you know, I walked in 130 pounds and, you know, I'm six foot three and 130 pounds is too skinny for wow. for a six foot three person. And it, it was just a really raw experience. And yoga is really reflective. I mean, it's, it's pow- it is very powerful. And on that day, I freaking hated myself. Like I couldn't, I couldn't stand myself. I, I, 
I walked in there. I wanted to be the best before I had even done it. I it wa it like brought up all these really what we could call defects of characters or detours of character, where I was comparing my insides with someone else's outsides. You know, I was basically judging my own value by someone else's ability to achieve yoga poses. I was competitive, you know, like I couldn't do anything. So I judged myself on that. I was like, oh, I'm no good for this. I, you know, why am I even doing this? I can't touch my toes. Everyone else can touch their toes. And all these like mental things went around in my head and I laid down. And I was like, I freaking hate this stuff. I can't stand it. I, I like, why would anyone do this? And I was, I had like angry tears in my eyes, like angry tears. And I got out of that class. I literally like ran out of the class. And I went out into the yoga parking lot and smoked a cigarette, which is <laughs> hilarious to me today. And then I, uh, you know, I went and stuffed myself with like the grossest food that you could find because that those feelings of vulnerability and those feelings of like inadequacies like were brought to the surface on the very first class. And that's what scares people, too. Yeah. You know, it, it shows up eventually. It, most of the time, it's not the first class. Though. <laughs> and most of the time, if it does show up first class, they don't make it back to the second. So what brought you back to a second class? After that? <laughs> my, my sponsor's coercion. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, you know, I called him and I was sharing that uh, story of like what it brought up for me. And he's like, you know, yoga's going to bring stuff up. Meditation brings stuff up. Yeah. Uh, you know, you're basically telling me that this worked too good. And I was like, no, I'm telling you that it made me feel terrible. And he's like, but yeah, those are all things that you need to deal with. Those are being brought up so they can be addressed so you can get to the other side of them. And he's like, you're going back to yoga. And he like laughed on the phone and hung up the phone. And he was like, you're, you're going back to yoga. And my sponsor is not my friend at all. I mean, he's not my friend. He's not a yes man. He's not <laughs> co-signing BS, if you know what I mean. He's, he's really tells me what I feel like is the truth. Most of the time where it's just like really crystal clear. And I, I heard him and I was like, yeah, maybe he's right. You know, I listened to him up to this point. I was sober all the way up to this point. And most people don't make it to six months. Wow. Long-term sobriety is only. Hard, yeah. 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 I mean, uh, long-term sobriety is something that is uh, rare. You know, it happens. And when it happens, like it needs to be celebrated. Yeah. But You know, I made it to six months, the longest I've ever been since I'd been like 14 years old. You know, I was 25 then. Just to kind of reiterate, it seems like this is a very important point that yoga brings up stuff. Yeah. And that's actually part of the point. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the really, um, if you look at it through a yoga perspective or even maybe even a chemistry perspective, if you looked at it through a chemistry perspective, like you could say like every emotion that is stored in your body um, is a chemical reaction happiness and sadness and all of these things. Well, if that emotion or even trauma is not addressed, it gets stored in the body. And as you heat up the body and as you do deep breathing and vigorous movement and stretch and twist and move and start to get like latent muscles active and alive again, of course, there'll be times where you're angry as a result of like something that has previously happened. Our bodies keep the score. There's a book <laughs> called The Body Keeps the Score. But our body keeps the score. Our, yeah. our issues today, whether you believe this or not, are all in your, your tissue. Yeah. It's all stored. Like our body is uh, very intelligent. And so all of a sudden you take this like 
heating tool of yoga and transformation tool. It's like pounding out the impurities of gold. You know, I'm serious. Like yeah. we're, you could say like we're perfect pieces of gold, but you have to pound out all the pure impurities. And that hammer is yoga. And it seems like it's also a great environment for that stuff to come up where you can actually, you're in a community where you can work through it. Community of people that are going through the same thing, a teacher that has been through the same thing, um, you know, who's been through the fire, um, work through their stuff. Like, these are all essential. Yeah. Community community is a huge one. Um, teacher is a huge one, too. So, I, and now after that, your your yoga journey, you know, kind of evolved. You There wasn't a Mysore Ashtanga teacher here in Columbus. You right. went and, and sought that out. Yep. Um, you, you got directed to... Uh, is it Sharat? Yeah, so Sharat Joyce, who is the director of KPJAYI, um, which is considered like the Harvard of yoga schools, and that's where I went. What was your experience like going to India? I make it to India, and I went because a, a fellow teacher suggested that I go. He said that he basically couldn't teach me anymore. Um, he said I needed to go drink from the well, and that well was India. And he was right. I went there, and I immediately felt like I was home. It was the first time in really my life that I felt like I was home. It felt like I'd been there before um, without freaking out all of your <laughs> listeners. Um, it felt like I'd been there before. It also felt like when I walked into the shala, like where the school actually is, where all the yoga is done, uh, I walked in the room and I, I, I said, like, for some reason, the energy that is in this space, I have felt it before. And I've never said that about anything else. I, I was like... I've been here before, or Shri K. Patabi Joyce, like I've met him before, or Sharat, I've met him before, or the energy that these people bring, I've met before. Like I couldn't pinpoint it, but it deeply resonated with me. I was like beyond excited to 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 be there. It's an honor to be like basically chosen to go to school there, um, which is really cool. And I, I mean, I practiced my butt off. I mean, I learned, soaked it up like a sponge. I did everything that I could possibly do in, in order to learn as much stuff as I could possibly learn. And that was just the first trip. I mean, I've been back another five times or whatever and stayed for longer than the first trip. I basically stayed for three months each time I go. And, I mean, I've learned something new each time, but that, that space in India and how they interact with the people and how they interact with the land uh, mixed with how they met, um, interact with, like, farm life and pets and animals like man it is just it resonated with me i, I mean that's why i continue to go back i mean i, I love mysore in india it's it's kind of a magical place totally kind of inland and it's just to kind of set the scene a little bit when i visited coming in from chennai where it's much more dusty and mm -hmm. and dirty and crowded mysore is a little bit more has a little bit more space <laughs> yeah it definitely has a lot more space and it has uh kind of more rolling hills and yeah and nice majestic palace downtown where right. you drive by and it's just you get this feel of, of someplace special yeah i mean it's like basically the city of the royals you know the, like that's where the royal family was and and so yeah it feels definitely special it's a little gem in india um and it's not i mean it's as populated as columbus ohio um there's a lot less to the city than columbus ohio um, so there's still a lot of people there <laughs> india's like got a lot of people <laughs> But uh, it definitely has a, a like a more quaint feel or a little bit more intimate feel. And then uh, you came back and was it three years ago that you started Ashtanga Yoga Columbus? 
Yeah, so we're going on our third. Okay. Yeah, we're going on our third. Yeah, it's, but I, I started that after um, I got authorized and or a couple of years after I got authorized. And I just got to a space where I just felt like Columbus kind of needed this traditional teaching. It was happening all over. Um, you know, there was places like New York and California and London and all these different places where people were, were practicing Mysore. And, and I've, I felt so much value and so much gratitude for what it was teaching me. And that I saw, I, I mean, I had a bird's eye view of like watching all of these people just basically go through all their stuff and start living like passion and purpose and understanding what their, their life's mission was and mm. all these things. And I, I mean, it's remarkable, really, you know. So how could you not want to like put that hub in Columbus? You know, like how could you not want to take what Ashtanga Yoga has given to me and give it to other people? Yeah, I mean, it, it, <laughs> like I, I look at it, and it's like, yeah, it was supposed to happen at the time. It just seemed like a hard journey to to get it get it done. I mean, all yoga works, like you know, whether it's contemporary or all the way traditional style, like what we're talking about, all of it works, but. For some reason, like, the more traditional that yoga is, the more transformative it is. Got it. In my experience, traditional style equals more transformation. Now, what makes Mysore Ashtanga Yoga different from other, other yogas? Well, Mysore Ashtanga Yoga is basically where you get taught a sequence of postures where um, you it becomes your practice. Where maybe the best way to do it is, is use a comparison. Like in contemporary yoga styles, you go in and the teacher teaches you through the entire practice. And they might do like 30 poses and then they kind of wrap you up and it's like, see you later. But you couldn't go home and do that on your own. You couldn't repeat it if you tried. My source style, what we try and do is we build up strength, fl- flexibility, stamina, and then also like like muscle memory, we'll call it. And you basically start with a small section of, of postures, and each day that you come back, you build on more. So we don't assume that you can do 30 postures your first day. We assume that you can do like five. And the reason why we assume that is because we want you to remember it. We want your bodies to become prepared for it. We want you to build stamina, strength, flexibility, all that stuff. But we don't want to do it over a period of one class. So if you jumped into one class, you know, those 30 poses like a contemporary style, a lot of times people feel like they're just keeping up. And we don't want people to keep up. We want them to embody it. We want them to grab onto it and be like, this is my practice. Mm-hmm. Do it inside of our yoga studio, but do it at home. Do it on the road. Do it on vacation. And you can't do that with contemporary style. Like in traditional style, we basically teach you a sequence over a set period of, you know, maybe a month or two months or whatever, but it's done in like a really deliberate way. Mm-hmm where it feels really smart to like, instead of starting with a large number of postures to start small, practice that a lot, add on more. Because we also believe that practice makes perfect, Mm. which is like an adage that goes along with athletics and sports and stuff. Practice makes perfect. Well, we want to get good at what we're doing. And we, we basically are going through these, the same postures on a daily basis and then adding on a little bit when we're ready. And that, that comes from the direction of the teacher. This is also the reason why I think it works for addicts as well. Mm. Oh, that's interesting. So what about it makes, makes it work for addicts? Well, if you just look at it from just an athletic perspective, like mm-hmm. if you just take that perspective on it, you look at how the practice works, 
and you look at like the people that show up who are addicts to the class, you know, they probably don't see any progress in their lives, period. Like, you know, they might be getting sober or struggling to get sober, but they continually have like, you know, they're basically falling on their face over and over and over again because addiction, sometimes it takes many relapses before it finally sticks. But they come into yoga and they learn this thing that they can take anywhere with them. Mm. And then we don't teach them too much. We teach them enough where they can do it like consistently whenever, wherever, whenever, wherever they're at. And then what happens is they start getting better at it as a result of doing the same thing over and over. So they'll see that they're able to fold forward a little bit deeper. Uh-huh. Or they'll see that their arms are straighter and back bends. Or they'll see that they're able to do a push-up a little bit better. And the reason why that's really powerful is because, again, if you look at contemporary style, contemporary style basically, uh, contemporary style yoga basically changes the sequence every single time that you show up. You never know what you're going to get, which is also beneficial, but yeah. not for the not for the addict. Um, the reason why is because the addict needs to see that progress. They need to see it on a daily basis because that will give them a true test of. Am I doing good? Am I putting forth the effort? Am I working through my stuff? Because the mat, that little rectangle that you practice on, becomes like your little laboratory. <laughs> and it becomes like this space of where it's that con- it's like a controlled experiment. It's the same every single day. We just maybe add on postures. But as a result of doing it over and over and over, your mind's eye is able to see like whether or not I'm, I'm making progress. And if you start showing an addict that they're making progress at something, they'll never stop doing it. And that progress will transfer into their their daily life because they're like, well, if I put forth this much effort in the yoga room, imagine if I took that much effort and put it towards like a college degree or put it together for starting my own business or cleaning up my finances or working harder, whatever it is. So it's like an entirely new mindset that says, hey, a little bit at a time actually leads somewhere. Exactly. And that's what, I mean, it is so empowering to see that, you know, this yoga is changing the whole landscape of how I not only view my life and how I feel about myself, but I know that if I put in the work, I get something in return. And for an addict, that's like dangling a carrot out in front of their face. (laughs) And saying, like, you know, we might be replacing, like, bad behaviors with good, good, healthy behaviors. And that's like, gives them something to work on and process the stuff. And with a teacher that is supportive. And, I mean, that's why, that's why it works. What's the atmosphere like in the room? Man. <laughs> you know, it's day-to-day, really. It's day-to-day. The, the tone of the room is usually set by the teacher. Um, how it's how maybe his mood is or her mood is, and then also um, maybe how their practice went or what was being brought up from there. But generally speaking, uh, I think that the room feels empowering. I feel feels like it's accountability. It feels like it's devotion. And so if you, you walk into our shala, our yoga space, you would say you'd be blown away by the power and the energy in the room. Mm. And you'd also, I think, be blown away by just the sheer act of the devotion. I mean, asana, which are yoga postures, today are a lot less, for me, about the stretching aspect. They are more the spiritual aspect. I don't really care about whether or not my hamstring is completely open anymore or if I'm getting a bind. 
It's actually me showing up and doing my prayers through these movements, doing that meditation, that focus through through these movements. And because what I've realized over 11 years is that you can get to a spot where it becomes like pretty bland. And if you can make it about helping other people or you can make it about connecting to your higher power, whatever that might be, you'll sustain the practice. And you'll go through ups and downs, but at the end of the day, you'll know why you're practicing, the actual big why, why you're practicing. Now, um, kind of a personal question. My, my yoga practice is a bit in hibernation mode, you know. <laughs> I've been struggling with kind of one day a week, which is not enough to, to really do that. So can you speak a little bit about the commitment to, to yoga? Well, I mean, it's the same thing as if you were in college, you know, and you had to take a class. I mean, how much work would you have to put in? You know, if, if your yoga practice gave you everything in your life that you wanted, I mean, how much effort would you put towards it? I mean, you'd, go all out. <laughs> you'd go all out. And so um, I know that for me, what I've done is dive as deep into the, you know, the well as, or into the ocean or pool as I can possibly go because I know that it equals something more powerful than what I currently have mm. continuously. And it's if I get, keep keep doing that and if I keep working, like, you know, there's something amazing that is like unfolding in my life, like how I feel about myself or the shifts and changes or how I feel about change and how I feel about other people and the connection with other people. All this stuff comes up. So, I mean, really the commitment, you know, it's like brushing your teeth. You know, <laughs> like, do you want your teeth or do you not want your teeth? You know, if you don't want your teeth, don't brush. Like, it's fine. If you want your teeth, like, you have to take care of them. You know, you have to nurture it. You have to plant the seed. It's like, uh, sort of like gardening, too. Yeah. You plant the seed, and you got to, you know, till the the, <laughs> the soil. You got to make sure that, you know, you water it. You, I mean, if you want transformation, you have to work for it. You know, I, I'm certain that probably about 85% of our population are doing things that they don't want to do anymore, but are unable to, like, create some sort of transformation out of it um, or some sort of change out of it. And if they're able to really latch onto something that is bigger than themselves, like they'll, they will capitalize on it. You know, they'll, they'll find their passion and purpose and why they're doing things and why they're here on earth. Like we all have like a specific thing that we're supposed to, supposed to do here. Yeah. You know, finding it is not always as easy as it looks. No, I mean, but it's our job too to try and do it. And I know that for me, like, my path just ha happened to lead to yoga. And I don't know if it will end there, to be honest with you. But I, I know that I got into yoga, and I was able to, like, become a yoga teacher. But, like, many other people have come into yoga and, like, found, like, things that are serving them and things that are not serving them. Mm. And they have the choice. Once it becomes crystal clear that you have this choice between, like, this is good for me and this is bad for me. And I'm going to spend more of my energy in this good stuff instead of my bad stuff. You can discard the bad. And then you can make it to that stuff and you can be like, okay, well, I've done that for a couple years or whatever. <laughs> and it brings up these things. And, you know, I want to do more of this instead of this. And you start to, like, almost create this, like, discrimination between, like, is this good or is this bad? Is this my path or is this not my path? Is this wasting my time is or this is waste, this taking me forward? Am I you know? spending my wheels or am I not no. spending my wheels? Like, is this what I'm supposed to do with my life? And that doesn't, I mean, tell me where else that happens. <laughs> where you can like, you basically, is this good or is this bad? No. And you have the choice 
of like taking the bad stuff or the stuff that no longer serves you and throwing it out the window and be like, I want to do more of the good stuff. <laughs> and I've seen it hundreds, thousands of times where people get into yoga. They don't become yoga teachers, but they become like physicians or they become business owners or therapists or writers, you know, or artists. You know, so many people started at, like, for example, like I'm thinking someone in my head, you know, she didn't do art. She wasn't involved in the art. Yeah. I mean, she had an art major, you know, she had like a master's in art. It, it kind of disappeared out of her life. She shows up at yoga. She's worked her butt off and she's an artist again, you know, like reconnecting to the things that we did at one time that spoke to us that are our passion and our purpose. Oh, I've been doing this all, all backwards. I, I actually, I had this moment in 2005 when, uh, you know, I had a moment of clarity. I was like, okay, I, you know, I want to discover my passion in life. I want to, um, and I kind of knew I had these three pillars I wanted to establish. One where every day I would journal, you know, just to collect my thoughts. I wanted to meditate for an hour every day. And I wanted to have a yoga practice. It took me until 2014 to establish journaling every day and then... Yeah. 2015, I finally admitted to myself I couldn't meditate for an hour every day. So I started with five minutes, and over 15 months, I built that up to an hour a day. So Great. the last year, I've been sitting an hour a day, which is that's awesome. two of the three pillars. And so <laughs> I'm on to my third okay. <laughs> yoga pillar of, of building that practice, which is very exciting. It's actually it's so interesting. I've been wanting to sit down and, and, and talk to you. Part of that, this podcast is, is part of the whole figuring out what my passion is. Right. I know it involves around service and how we actually interact with people. When I started off the year, I was like, I want to do 25 podcast episodes this year. That was my big goal, which I didn't think I could achieve. And today, this is my 25th podcast awesome. episode. Really, <laughs> I'm really glad that kind of just worked out yeah. almost magically at the last end. That's amazing. So, <laughs> But, you know, my, my big takeaway is, hey, I should have started with yoga. Everything else would have come out of that. <laughs> but, I, you know, doing things backwards. Is yeah, it's a, I mean, it's all right. It's a journey. It's not the destination. I, I just know that any time where I'm trying to, like, connect with something or reconnect with something, it requires effort. Yeah. You know, like, requires a new set of thinking and it requires a new set of, like, you know, creating new patterns in our lives is a difficult thing. And really, yoga is a perfect tool to do that, yeah. you know, to achieve the stuff and that we, that we deem that we want. So there's something about the Ashtanga Yoga Columbus community that, that there's been a lot of effort put in to, to build that up, and it's just a very supportive community, something that I haven't seen other places. I think part of it is because of me, and not that I'm taking credit for all of it. When I first walked into yoga, I didn't feel like I fit in. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I really didn't feel like I fit in. And they were talking about, like... Uh, this might sound ridiculous, but they were talking about like all of the bad problems that they had. And they were all really like kind of good problems. Like as I listened <laughs> like, to them, no, I'm like, I'll take, take some one. of those problems <laughs> instead of the problems that I got of bankruptcy, spiritually, mentally, physically, you know, just, um, I'll take your problems. You know, I don't want <laughs> these, this bankruptcy stuff. I didn't feel like I fit in, you know, they all felt like sort of like angels, the place where I practiced at in the beginning and I wasn't an angel. I mean, I wasn't anywhere close to an angel. If you read my book, you know I'm not an angel. Um, I'm someone who's like, even to this day, like working on being the best version of themselves. And sometimes I fail. I don't do a good job about it. Um, sometimes I don't take care of myself or treat people bad. 
And I just didn't fit in with the yoga crew that I, that I had in the beginning. And also like I, I understood that there was, you know, people would show up to class and you would never get to meet the person next to you. Like you would never get to meet them. And so when I was like, Oh, I want to, I want to start my own program and I want to do, you know, this thing that I, that I have this passion for. I know that I wanted to be surrounded by people that I loved and that people that I, um, basically chose to be a, like to be around. Not that it's like exclusive. I'm not saying that. It's just that I wanted like-minded people around me because I needed that. I needed people to tell me the truth. I needed people to not be yes men. I needed them to be my friends, but also be sounding boards and listen to me. Like I, I I was, I'm never perfect. And so I needed the support of the people that were around me. And as a result, I got the, I got what I needed. You know, I got best friends and I got sisters and I got brothers and I got pastors and I got, you know, I mean, I got all of it business people and lawyers and doctors and pediatricians and, you know, our community's hundreds, you know, of people strong. And so we have all of these different personalities and, and they all, we're all just trying to do the best job that we can. The yoga deeply resonates with us and, there's like a like-minded, joking, but serious thing where we're just like, we're all putting in the work to be the best versions of ourselves. And that feels really powerful in the room, but also for other people to experience that have not felt that. I mean, we're all looking for our squad or our tribe or whatever you want to call it. No, but I mean, the energy in that room, it's like when you're struggling, the room is can be very quiet. You hear people breathing and there's something just about the energy of being in that space which propels you forward it's like okay i want to give up and and lie down but you know there's no energy in the room that lets you do that it kind of carries you forward it carries you through i mean it's really the magic that happens in the room collective everyone singleness and purpose of just being the best version of themselves it carries people to higher degrees of change you know empowerment (laughs) it's it's very powerful it is very powerful um, and I don't, I don't know if that happens in other styles. I know that happens at our, our yoga studio a lot. Um, you know, the community aspect or whatever, but it's important to me. Like I want people around me that love and support me and, and I want to love and support people. And I want to have like a chosen family. You know, they say your friends are your chosen family. <laughs> I mean, these are, this is my chosen family. I hang out with them. They watch my kids. There's babysitters there. There's young people, 18 years old. There's 70 year old people there. Mm-hmm. There, you know, there's, I have grandmas in the room, you know, I I have, it's just amazing just to see that everyone, it just resonates. There's something deep down where it's like, oh yeah, like I've realized or I've deemed that what I have in my life has gotten me to this point, but I want something different. And, and from that statement or that thing that's in your head, what happens is you show up in the yoga room and it's like, I want something different. And I'm willing to work at it in order to get it. And that's what everyone in the room is doing. And it's pretty powerful. Now, you have a very kind of brutal honesty. Like, how does that feed that energy? Well, you know, if I was being real, all of my sponsors that I've ever had have all had really the same quality. And it's just that they're honest. Mm -hmm. And they look out for me, but they're honest with me. And in our society today, I think that we want friends, but we're afraid to hurt their feelings. And that's not what a sponsor is to me. And that's also not what a teacher is to me. Mm-hmm. There's going to be some times where I'm going to piss you off. 
And there's going to be some times where I, I'm able to give you a hug and say, like, everything is going to be okay and, and be supportive and or maybe even seem motherly. But when there's like this, when there's a time to be brutal, honest, you, you are able to share it without the feeling like you're going to have the repercussions of they're not going to be my friend anymore. Mm-hmm. It's okay if the person doesn't want to come back to my classes anymore because I'm honest with them. Because at, when they're at home and they're processing whatever was happening and they look back on it, it wasn't about me. It was really about letting them be the best versions of themselves. And there has to be some sort of mutual like love that goes back and forth and that honesty. And they have to know that you're coming from a good place with it. Mm. And if that is done correctly, I think that it feels supportive and it feels like you're getting pushed a little bit. And it, it also feels like you're being held accountable. Now, does that feed back into the Trinity Foundation? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, I do the same thing for all the trainee people that are in the classes. And it's, it's same, same exact thing. We also try and establish at the partner studios and stuff that we have as well. Now, why did you pick the name Trinity Foundation? Well, Trinity means three. And there's three of us. I'm the executive director, my wife, Jessica Hunt, and then Don Blevins, who's the uh, director of communications. Um, so that's three. That's three of us. And then it's also um, three in the Ashtanga Yoga Method is asana. Um, the third limb of Ashtanga yoga is asana. Okay. So that seemed to fit perfect for me too, because we are trying to teach them this transformational, tangible tool that they can take with them. And so, yeah, so it has two different meanings. Neat. So uh, how do people get involved? Like uh, what, or how do you out, do outreach? Like what are different ways people can help with this? Yeah, I mean, one of the biggest ones is you can offer to volunteer, like, your services. To, so whatever you do for a living or whatever you, your kind of passion and purpose is uh, about, like, you can email us and say, hey, I want to do social media marketing for you or email marketing or any of that stuff. And, and so we've, we've taken many people up on that. That's maybe one of the biggest ways to get involved. So if you're a yoga teacher, you can come to one of our trainings, which it's basically called the Ashtanga and Addiction Forum. And we teach you how to teach different types of people, including addiction people or overweight people or, you know, there's many different ways that addiction basically shows up in people's lives, um, whether it's food or sugar or heroin or cocaine. And, and so we basically break down case studies on how to get better at teaching and deal with trauma, um, sensitive people, um, because addiction has a lot of trauma as well. So, yeah, so you could come to one of the trainings. If you're a person that is in sobriety or trying to get in sobriety, we also have, like, these Trinity Foundation recovery courses where you come into um, Columbus and we try and teach you some new behaviors um, through acupuncture and therapy and yoga and Ayurveda. And that program starts in February, which is pretty cool. Um, and and then I guess, like, maybe the other way that you, you can get involved is not only by, like, donating, but... Um, becoming like one of our followers on social media and really helping us like spread our message or even telling people about um, our scholarship program. So if you have a loved one that is in a place where they don't feel like they're supported, the Trinity Foundation is the perfect place to like reach out to so that we can give you some, some sort of support. Thank you very much. Yeah. Really appreciate kind of seeing the whole kind of journey come together and, and hear a lot more about what actually happens in the yoga studio. Yeah, well, oh, that contributes to personal transformation. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's exciting stuff. I mean, it's really what 
I feel like I'm supposed to do with my life is, is help other people row to the other shore, you know, get to the other side. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for being my 25th podcast. Of course. I'm grateful to achieve my, my massive goal for the year. Yeah, that's great. Thank you so much for having me on. If you know anyone struggling with alcohol and drug addiction, let them know about the Trinity Foundation. Their work is spread throughout the U.S. Also, if you are a yoga teacher or otherwise interested in helping out, you can find them at trinityfoundation.org or facebook.com slash trinityfoundation. And if you are curious about yoga and want to be part of a very supportive community here in Columbus, Ohio, you can find out more at ashtangayogacolumbus.com. Now, when I started the podcast this year, I had no idea what this would become. My goal was to release 25 episodes, and I really had no idea about the wonderful community I would get to know. Thank you so much for listening and supporting the podcast. I have exciting plans for next year to explore a specific social issue each month. In January, we're going to take a look at the struggles that refugees and dreamers face. But before we get there, I have one more podcast this year with Jake Klaus of the Unreal Collective. He has built a valuable resource for budding entrepreneurs and freelancers. I know I've mentioned him a lot on the podcast, so please tune in next week to hear the full story. Until then, cheers! Cheers!